So we are in the middle of this amazing chapter 42. And actually, there, we're talking so much about Moshe Rabbeinu, whose birthday and yard site was yesterday, yes. Zion Adar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Heard this story that was told by Rabbi, Rabbi Segel in Eretz Yisrael, uh, very prominent Chabad rabbi. And he said that it was Chai Elul, the birthday of the Baal Shem Tov and of the Alter Rebbe. And they were having a Hasidic gathering in the shul. And a man walked in who wasn't familiar with all of this, a Torah scholar in his own right, but of a different background. And he said, what's this? What are you guys celebrating? And he said, you know what today is? Today is the birthday of the Baal Shem Tov and of the Alter Rebbe. He wasn't impressed. He said, their birthday, but they already passed away. What's there to celebrate? And he said, what do you mean? It's an explicit passage in the Talmud. He said, what are you talking about? He said, Haman made a lottery to see when is the right time to start up with the Jews. And when did it fall out upon? The month of Adar. And he said, (coughs) wow, wonderful, look at that. What providence. It's the month when Moshe Rabbeinu passed away. And the Talmud says, but he didn't know that that was the month when Moshe was born. Moshe's birth, all those years later, even after his passing, was a great forceful power for the miracle of Purim. And so the man accepted and he said, let's say L'chaim. <laughs> so may the power of Moshe Rabbeinu that we have in our souls be revealed. And that's what we're talking about in today's chapter. And what we're talking about today is a uniquely Jewish concept. It's an experience that only Jewish people can have. But Samach Tzedek, this is the grandson of the author of the Tanya, the third Chabad Rebbe, said that in his town, there was a non-Jewish prince who was able to achieve such high levels of divine awareness, he reached up until Tehiru Ila'a, which is a very high level to start describing the way they describe what this means. And the famed Hasidic master, Rav Shmuel Levitin from the last generation, he said, yes, Klippa can have Chachma, Klippa can have Bina, but when it comes to Da'as, internal recognition, that they cannot have. So he can reach a very high level when it comes to understanding, but to, to relate to it in a way that this is me and I understand it, it resonates in my soul, I get it from a primary experience, that's uniquely a Jewish experience. What about a convert? A convert is a Jew. Okay. So once somebody converts, then they get a Jewish soul and they're an entirely different being. There's a story of the Maharal where a man was converting under his guidance. And the man said to him, I'm very confused. I understand that I had to do all the learning that I did. I understand that I have to undergo a bris. But why do I have to go to the mikvah? That I just can't get. And the moral said to him, you know what? That's a very good question. After you do everything, after we, you do the bris milah, after you do go to the mikvah, we're going to make a special party celebrating your initiation into the Jewish people. And at that party, I want you to come to me and ask me the question all over again. Why did I have to go to the mikvah? So the man converted. He learned what he needed to learn. He had a bris milah. He went to the mikvah. They made a party. And during the party, the maharal called him over and he said, my son, didn't you have something you wanted to ask me? And he said, yes, I don't have that question anymore. And I think it was that he felt the difference in consciousness once he went to the mikvah, he felt like a different being. He realized that that was the moment when everything changed for him. So a convert has that same awareness. He has a Jewish soul, just like every Jewish person. And 
What strikes me in this way is, we spoke about this before at class, the Muller liar optical illusion, where there's these lines that are all the same length, but some of them have tails protruding outward and some of them have tails extending inward. If you look at them and I say, which line is bigger? You're gonna say the one with the tails extending outward, the line is bigger because they look bigger. Then I'll measure them for you and I'll say, see, they're all the same size. So I'll ask you again, which one is bigger? You're gonna say, they're all the same size. But Daniel Kahneman points out, you'll never see the lines as equal. To you, they will look different. But based on what you know, you'll have to correct your perception and you'll say, they're all equal. But the way you feel, they look different. And that's how it is with a non-Jew who comes to very high levels of understanding in Hashem. To him, like the world seems prominent, but he'll have to constantly correct his inner feeling to what he knows. Jewish people have da'as. So once we get it, we get it. The lines suddenly look all the same because we have an internal recognition of that. So we are uniquely gifted for that, but it takes a tremendous amount of work. And this is what the author was going to tell us here in this chapter. And he's, he's really working us hard. The Alter Rebbe is working us hard. He's telling us, you know, it's very different because in Chabad, the reliance on the Rebbe is not the same way. When it comes to other Hasidic groups, the feeling is that, the philosophy is, that you become close to a tzaddik and you kind of fly with his inspiration. When it comes to Chabad, that's not the method. That tzaddik is there to guide you, but you have to do the work on your own. And this is a favorite story of mine. It's about a chassid of the Alter Rebbe who lived in the same town as a chassid of the colleague of the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Chaim Chaikel of Amdur. And the chassid of the Alter Rebbe came to him one time and he was complaining. He said, Reb Chaim Heichel's chassid, when he prays, he is on fire. Like automatically, he gets to his prayers and he is aflame with passion for Hashem. And me, that's not how it goes. I first have to study, then I have to meditate, I have to work hard, and hopefully, hopefully I get to some level of passion when I dive in. How is that fair? And the altar took him very seriously. He leaned his head on his hands in meditation and he said, when that chassid davens, it's chaykel burning in him. His rebbe is burning in him. But what we want is that you should burn on your own. So that takes a tremendous amount of effort. The altar will spell out what the effort is in this chapter. But he doesn't want us to settle for anything less than the best. You know, you give a child a choice between a pile of candies and a million dollars. They're going to run for the pile of candies. No! Big mistake, a million dollars, but they can't. So the author was telling us, you know, you want to be your expert creature. You don't want to work hard, but you're settling for a pile of candies. No, work hard. There's something much better available to you. And that's actually the truest self. So here we are in the middle of chapter 42. Chapter 42 started off with the idea that, you know, we were talking about having lower fear of Hashem last chapter and that it's very much accessible to all of us. And Moshe Rabbeinu said to the Jewish people, all Hashem is asking of you is to have fear. And the Talmud asks, really, is fear such a small thing? And the Talmud answers, yes, fear is a small thing for Moshe Rabbeinu. How does that answer the question? He's not talking to himself, he's talking to us. 
but we have Moshe within us. And that comes in two ways. We have Moshe within us because he's literally part of our soul. Moshe is part of our soul and he channels da'as, divine knowledge of Hashem to us because that's where he's rooted. He's rooted in the sephira of da'as in the world of Atsilas. He's always been rooted there. When he's above, when he's below, he never lost that consciousness or connection. He channels it to our soul because he's one of the seven shepherds who feeds godliness and vitality to our souls. So we have Moshe in us. And then there's another way that we get that. And that we get from the sages of Israel who are literally a spark of Moshe in each generation. Not just is their soul a spark of Moshe, but even their body. Their body is holy and has this spark of Moshe. And they literally live the divine experience. And when they teach us Torah and when they teach us any wisdom, they're actually teaching us Hashem. They're giving Hashem to us. And they awaken within us this aspect of Da'as that we have within our soul. So we can think, okay, the main way that we get Da'as is by learning from books from the holy sages. And that's how we get Da'as. And the altar was going to say, that's one way we get Da'as. That's how we start the process. But the main Da'as, the main way we get Da'as is by our own efforts. So if we thought we're going to get easy off the hook, the altar was not letting us off the hook. This is what he says right now. Ah, ikar hada'as eina hayadiyah levada sheyedu gduas Hashem mipis seifrim umipis farim. However, the essence of knowledge, which leads one to serve Hashem with his whole soul and heart, is not mere knowing alone. That people should know the greatness of Hashem from authors, meaning sages and spiritual guides and books. So yes, we need the knowledge. The Alter didn't say da'as is not getting the information. The Alter said you need the information. But that's not the main way. In fact, knowing about Hashem is a great mitzvah. This is what the Raman writes right at the beginning of Mishnah Torah. In the beginning of Hilchas Yisaidi HaTaira, the Raman writes, he starts his book with Yisaid HaYisaidis V'Amud HaChachmais, the foundation of all foundations and the pillar of wisdom. And if you look at how that starts, Yisaid HaYisaidis V'Amud HaChachmais, that's Yud Kevav Ke Hashem's name. That's how he starts his book, the Mishnah Torah. And he says, the foundation of all foundations and the pillar of wisdom is to know that there is a primary being who brought into being all existence. All the beings of the heavens, the earth, and what is between them came into existence only from the truth of his being. And later on in Halacha 6, he said, the knowledge of this concept is a positive commandment as implied by Exodus. I am God, your Lord. So learning about Hashem in itself, that knowledge is a big mitzvah. We have to do that. And it's step one. It's like last night at class, I'm going to point it out. Wait one second. So don't we have to learn Torah in order to meditate? We do because you need what to meditate on. There's no such thing as just going up to the top of the mountain and meditating. That sounds good, but that's not the kind of meditation we're talking about here. You need knowledge. So step one is you need the knowledge of Hashem from books and from sages, but that's not the core of it. That's not the nucleus. But the essential thing is to immerse one's own mind deeply into those things which explain the greatness of Hashem. Immerse. It's an immersive experience, literally to sit with it. It's not the same thing as like studying. Studying could be easy. If somebody's very gifted, they could like read through a book, they can get a lot of information. This is not about that. This is about lingering. This is about immersing. This is about sitting with something. This takes tremendous effort. And fix one's thought on Hashem with strength 
and vigor of the heart and mind. Fix one's mind. This is like sticking deeply. This is like putting in the peg. With strength and vigor of the heart and mind. A person should think so deeply about this. Until his thought shall be bound to Hashem with a strong and mighty bond as though it is bound to a material thing which he sees with his physical eyes and upon which he concentrates his thoughts. So do you see what the altar was saying over here? He's saying that this could be so real to us the same way that we see something physical and not just see something physical. First of all, let's talk about seeing versus hearing or understanding. When we hear about something, when we understand something, that's a second hand. Seeing is a first hand relationship. Like if I were to describe a gorgeous piece of art to you and I was doing a great job articulating everything about it, you might be wowed but you can't compare that experience to you actually seeing it for yourself. Seeing for yourself makes something get etched in your soul. And then there's seeing in passing, like you catch sight of something. Sometimes your eyes see something, but you don't see it. That's what the Freya Dick Rebbe says. Sometimes people see something, but they don't see it because they're so preoccupied. They're so bogged down. They're so distracted. They don't see it. But then there's looking at it and really immersing yourself into it, like thinking about a beautiful painting, looking at that painting till you're lost in it. You've become attached to it, to the point that it's live in front of your eyes. That could happen when we think about Hashem. And you could say, what? Come on, is that even possible? Here we're talking, I understand I can get caught up in something physical that I am looking at. But to get so caught up in my thoughts about Hashem and the Alter Rebbe is going to explain how that's possible. But one thing that Rabbi Steinzold says early on in Tanya is that a lot of people think they can't meditate. He said, if you can get angry, you can meditate. <laughs> how do you get angry? Oh my gosh, she said that. And she did that. And suddenly a person is involved in a web of ideas where they cannot even extricate themselves from. They're stuck in deep meditation. That should happen to us by thinking about Hashem. We should be so involved in what we're thinking about so that it totally overtakes us. It overwhelms us. It captures us. We can't think of anything else. We're literally fixated on our thoughts. And actually, it should be impossible. And it's impossible for most people. But for us, it is possible. And that's what the author was going to say. When one does so, He is mightily bound up with the object of his thoughts and is unable to free himself from them. Thinking about Hashem and his greatness should be done in the self-same, all-absorbing manner, and thereby the thinker will be truly bound up with Hashem. So imagine that happening to us. It really could. We're going to have to work hard. We're going to have to follow what the altar of tells us. Now, the altar was going to describe that da'as is not the kind of da'as that people think about when they say da'as. People say da'as and they think of knowledge. And the altar was going to say, no, da'as means something very different. Da'as means union, connection. Kanoida, she da'as hu l'shain his kashras, kimai adam yada v'gaymer. For it is known that da'as connotes union, as in the verse, and adam 
Yada literally knew Eve. The word yada in this verse connotes union. Thus, das entails knowing something to the point that one is completely united with it. The same is true regarding knowledge of godliness. Although when one just knows godliness, he is already fulfilling a mitzvah, still this does not suffice. It is necessary that one achieve the union of das by meditating deeply on Hashem's greatness. So it's not just enough to know to see it in passing. It's something that we have to be completely connected to. And there is a story of the Alter Rebbe. His father-in-law was not a chassid, and he was not happy that the Alter Rebbe associated himself with the Magad of Mezrich, who was a student of the Baal Shem Tov. And the Alter Rebbe actually traveled, of course, to Mezrich to learn from his master. And his father-in-law was so skeptical when he came back his father-in-law was looking at him. He's like, okay, phew. He doesn't look like he changed a lot. I mean, he still studies with the same concentration he used to study. He still prays with the same fervor he used to pray. I can't figure out what did he need over there already. So he says to the Alta Rebbe, you went to Mezrich. Tell me, what, what happened over there? What did you do? What did you accomplish? He said, oh, I learned something very important. I learned that there's a God. And his father-in-law is like, come on. Are you serious? Sprinter! That was the household helper, a Jewish woman who worked in the house. And she comes running into the room. Yes. Tell me, is there a God? And she said, of course there's a God. And so he turns to his son-in-law, the Alter Rebbe, and says, see, she also knows there's a God. And he said, no, no, no. She says, but I know. And there's a big difference of knowing. When a person really knows, then they actually feel constantly that they're in the presence of Hashem. And that's really what we're trying to achieve over here. So it should be impossible, but Alter was going to tell us that we have this ability. This capacity and this quality of attaching one's da'as to Hashem so that he not only understands, but also feels godliness, and so becomes wholly united with him, is present in every soul of the house of Israel by virtue of its nurture, Yenika, literally suckling, from the soul of our teacher, Maisha, peace unto him. We literally have it as part of our soul. It's not about intelligence. This is about a natural capacity that we have. The example that Rabbi Steinsaltz gives are some birds migrate. Modern science says the way that migratory birds navigate is by use of the stars. Doesn't mean that a swallow is more intelligent than a human being who can't do that kind of navigation. It's just a different kind of ability. Jews have this ability of knowing Hashem. It's literally part of us. It's something we relate to because it's an inner experience. If we don't have something within ourselves, we can't understand it. The altar later on Tanya says, if a person wants to understand something, like what knowledge is, what wisdom is, first he has to find it within himself, and then he understands what it is. If you want to have da'as, it can't be something that we read about. It has to be something that we have an ability for naturally in our soul. We do. Our soul suckles from the soul of Maisha Rabbeinu, who is rooted in the divine da'as of Atsilas. And because we have that connection, and we have Moshe in our soul, we have this ability to connect to Hashem, the same way that we connect to something that we see with our physical eyes, something physical that we see with our physical eyes, it sounds impossible. Okay, so what's the question. problem? Yeah. I have a question. So every Jewish person has this capacity, has this capacity, but it's for us to actually find it and nurture it and build on it. But every single Jew has it. 
Absolutely. But we have to, but it's our, the work that we individually have to do is to actually find it. Yes. And I'll start okay. spelling out right now. Okay. What is that work? He's going to tell us what that work is. Good. So <laughs> why, why don't we feel it? Like, okay, we have Das within us. Why don't we walk around with this intimate knowledge of Hashem, with this keen awareness constantly of his presence, just naturally from birth? <laughs> Alterba says like this, Rock, me achar shenislabsha ha nefesh bakuf, tsricha liagia rabava atsuma, kefula umichu pelas. Only, since the soul has clothed itself in the body, it needs a great and mighty exertion, doubled and redoubled, in order to feel and be attached to Hashem. So our soul has this capacity. While it's true that the soul has this capacity by dint of its being nurtured from the soul of Moshe, for were the soul lacking this capacity, then even the greatest effort would be of no avail. For how can a created being possibly comprehend and feel its creator? How can a soul enclosed in a body feel and be bound to godliness? Nevertheless, even after possessing this capacity, it requires a prodigious effort to actually comprehend and feel godliness because our body obscures the soul. So the soul has this capacity, but it's in the confines of the body and the body and soul become one. They have a very intimate relationship. At at a certain point, they're one being, they're a living being. So because the soul is in a body which is physical and doesn't see the divine, it blocks its vision. Its vision is blocked that it itself cannot see the divine. So we have to overcome that physical framework. And the author was said, it's a doubled and redoubled effort. And he's going to explain what are these two efforts? Because we have two, we have two things that we're going to have to do over here. There's two efforts we're going to have to make. First of all, we're going to have to work on the body. We're going to have to overcome the obstacles that it places in our way. The other thing is we're going to have to allow our soul to shine. How are we going to do that? The author was going to spell it out. And I said, it's intense, but the Alter Rebbe wants the best for us. He doesn't want us to be cheated out of the experience that we actually have available to us. First is the exertion of the flesh to throw off the bodily shackles, to pound the body, meaning to weaken its corporeality and gain its submission so that it shall not obscure the light of the soul thus making it possible for one to understand and feel Hashem. So what does that mean? Pound the body. Does that mean hurt the body? Chas v'shalom. That's not what it means. In fact, that would be very dangerous for our soul. So, you know, while historically there have been people who said, you know, do a lot of fasting, that's not the way that the Altar is describing us here. And Rabbi Steindels points out that's for two reasons. First of all, it's not about how much food you eat. It's about how you eat the food. You know, somebody can feel very holy because they're fasting, but that can actually feed their ego. There's a story of a man who thought himself very pious. And one of the things people did for self-mortification is they would wear sackcloth, like under their clothes because it was so uncomfortable. So he was visiting a tzaddik and he had his sackcloth underneath. And he figured, I want the tzaddik to know that I'm not the regular. There's something a little special about me. So just, just, just a little bit from the top of his garments, a little bit of sackcloth is accidentally sticking out. So he comes to the tzaddik and the tzaddik is looking at him and he says, wow, how clever is he? My goodness, so clever. Wow, is he ever so clever? 
And the man is finally like, what is this about? He said, who is so clever? And he said, the Yetzirah, who managed to take a man <laughs> like you and put him in a sackcloth. <laughs> so it's not just about fasting. It sounds good to break the body through fasting. That's not the way. That's not the intention we're trying to achieve. It's how are we eating? Is this a God-centered activity? Is this a humble activity? Is this a place where we're surrendered? And the other issue is that it is impossible to hurt the body without hurting the soul. Body and soul are one. When it comes to a garment, if you need to clean the garment, you could take off the jacket, you could shake it very hard, you can beat it, and you're okay, you put it back on. When it comes to the body, if we're pounding and beating and shaking the body, we're pounding and beating and shaking the soul. So that's not the way to do it. The Alter Rebbe's teacher, the Magad of Mezrich, had a son who was the Alter Rebbe's Chavrusa, Rabbi Avraham the Malach. He would teach the Alter Rebbe Chassidus, and the Alter Rebbe would teach him Nigla, like Talmud and Shulchan Aruch, and they would trade with each other. He was so far removed from matters of this world, they called him the angel. And before his father, the Magad of Mezrich, passed away, he said, Avraham, you should know that a small hole in the body is a huge hole in the soul. So it's not about hurting the body. It's about getting the ego out of the way, humbling ourselves so that we can become conscious of Hashem, making ourselves into an empty vessel. Because when someone is very body-centered and they're pleasure-centered and they're all seeking things for themselves, they're a full vessel and they can't accept anything. We have the story in here of the Rebbe Maharash. This is the fourth Chabad Rebbe. And... The previous Rebbe has in his writings. He said, A chassid who came to speak to my grandfather, Rabbi Shmuel of Lubavitch, at a private audience, once lamented the fact that he was devious in every matter that came his way. So this is the advice that the Rebbe Maharash gives him. The Rebbe Maharash thereupon advised him to undertake 600 fasts. 600 fasts. There's not even 600 days in the year. Seeing that he was left astonished, the Rebbe Maharash added, do you think that fasting means not eating from sunrise to sunset? That's called dieting. <laughs> fasting is, is an avida. Spend 15 minutes. This is not a long time. 15 minutes every day thinking about yourself earnestly. Guard your tongue from talking. We're not speaking about meditating on chassidus. We're speaking simply of thinking about yourself. And within two years, this chassid had undergone a complete change. When my revered father, and this is the Rebbe Rashab, told me of this, he added, he changed not only the faculties of his soul, he changed in essence. If you had seen him, that change would have overwhelmed you. The Talmud often uses the phrase, that is to say, in the above story then, one can find oneself a lesson. Everyone should spend 15 minutes every day thinking about himself. And here we're talking about crushing the body and how fasting is not the way. Intense meditation for 15 minutes is exhausting, is exhausting. But this is what the Rebbe Maharaj called fasting. The author was going to spell out how we crush the body, so to speak. So first of all, why are we employing this method? And this method originates in the Zohar. As has been mentioned above, and this is in chapter 29 in the name of the Zohar, that a body into which the light of the soul does not penetrate should be crushed. 
So the Zohar says, there's a log that's so thick that you can't, it doesn't catch fire. So what do you do? You splinter the log and then it can catch fire. A body that doesn't catch the light of the soul, what do you do? You crush the body and then the light of the soul shines. How? We are not allowed to hurt the body. This being accomplished by means of penitential reflections from the depth of the heart, as is explained there. So how do we crush the body? By thinking thoughts of teshuva, by humbling ourselves, And that's what the Altar Rebbe described in chapter 29, that even if we already done teshuva, the higher we reach, our teshuva has to be done all over again because the heart has many layers. And there was a place higher still that that sin didn't bother us. You know, I, I heard an analogy of a 10-year-old child who was running around in an art museum and ruins an expensive piece of art, $3 million piece of art. He ruins the piece of art. They say, little boy, you did something terrible and he's contrite and he feels really bad. He even cries. Maybe he writes an apology note. But then he becomes an adult. And now he realizes what he did. His remorse is so much deeper because he's gained a new awareness. And then imagine if he became a historian or an art professor who has a new appreciation for art. Then his regret is even deeper. And that's how it is with teshuva. Teshuva humbles us. Teshuva means I'm returning to Hashem. I did something to hurt our relationship and I feel so bad about it. And now I'm contrite. But now that I've gotten to a higher place, I have to think about that again and let it make me humble again. And the reason is because, not because we're trying to walk around, feel sad or depressed. God forbid we're not supposed to. We're trying to ri- arrive at a feeling of humility. And if we're not humble, we're a full vessel and we can't allow the light of our neshama to shine. We really want to achieve this place of da'as. We have to get the ego center out of the way. The ego cannot be the locus of ourself anymore. And that's what it means to the body. Become humble. The body is ego-centered. Become Hashem-centered. Surrender. How are we going to do that? Think about teshuva. Think about those times that I hurt my relationship with Hashem. That humbles me. That makes me an empty vessel. And now I can receive. So let's summarize this part, and then we're going to move into the next section. And the Altar said, the main way of achieving da'as is not the knowledge on its own, what we read from books or what we hear from sages. The main way of getting da'as da'as is by meditation, by fixing our thoughts on Hashem's greatness so deeply to the point that it's like something that we see with our eyes. As if we were totally immersed in something physically that we're looking at, that's how deeply we should be connecting to Hashem. Because da'as doesn't mean knowledge by itself. Da'as means connection. And truly that should be impossible. How can a human being connect with Hashem? But it's possible because we have it in our soul. It's an internal experience. However, we have some things in the way. The soul is now having a diminished consciousness because it's clothed within a body. So step one is we're going to have to do an exertion of the flesh, teshuva, so we can humble the body and allow the soul to shine within it. And now we're going to look at the second kind of exertion. When one has weakened the grossness of the body so that it hinders it no lo- so that it hinders it no longer, it becomes possible for the light of the soul to be manifest. This then is one manner of exertion known as exertion of the flesh. And the second is the exertion of the soul 
to reveal the powers of the soul. So the soul has this power of connecting with Hashem, but it's hidden deep within the soul. We have to exert the soul to allow its truest self to shine. That the service of exerting one's thought not be burdensome to it, to delve into and reflect upon the greatness of Hashem for a long, uninterrupted period. So we have to not shy away from actually exerting our thought. We really are afraid of meditation, and for a good reason. It's exhausting. The Rebbe Rashab writes in Kundras Avaida about how meditation is hard work. He says the idea of meditation is difficult for a person, and so he slacks in this regard. Rabbi Steinsatz tells a story of two Hasidic masters, and one of them said, I can bring fire down from heaven. And the other one said, I can think about the same thing for three days straight. And that's harder to bring a fire down from heaven. Thinking about something for three days straight is more tremendous than bringing a fire down from heaven. But what the Rebbe Rashab writes in Kuntras HaAvaida is that although the beginning is difficult, later on when a person gets used to it, it becomes a practice for them, it becomes utterly enjoyable. It's like a pleasure that they look forward to. He says when a person enters meditation, the life and the pleasure in it will be aroused. It will become a delight to him. The idea will be living for him. So initially we have to overcome very great obstacles. The Talmud tells us, call all beginnings are difficult. You know, it's the, the uh, scientific principle of inertia. <laughs> Something at, in, at rest tends to stay at rest. So we have to overcome that initial resistance of inertia. Like we don't want to do this. This is hard for us. If I would tell you, you know, cook a Sheva Brachas for 300 people and you'll get to know Hashem. You'd run to do that. If I say spend 15 minutes deeply concentrating, suddenly you feel like, ah, oh, I can't. And that's what the altar was saying. This is the exertion of the soul. Work your mind so that it shouldn't be hard for it. Don't let it run away from it. Don't let it, don't let it get away with it. Don't say, okay, okay, you don't want to find, you don't have to. No, no, no. You have to. This is something that you're just going to have to do. It's like, you know, I remember we were talking about it as a kid. He said, Mommy, I'm not going to school today. And she's like, you are going to school. <laughs> like, no, no, I'm not meditating. <laughs> exactly. You are going to school. No, 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 no. I don't want to meditate. You will be meditating. That's what you're going to be doing. <laughs> what did you say? Oh, Monday-itis. Exactly. Okay, so we are here, Cheryl's asking a question, and the question is, how is it different, thinking thoughts of teshuva, and then, which is the exertion of the flesh, and then thinking about Hashem, meditation? And so the first kind of meditation, which we're calling exertion of the flesh, but it turns out is a level of reflection. We're not talking about running you know, up the mountain. We're talking about, you know, you say exertion of the flesh, you think exercise, but it's actually getting the ego out of the way. And that's thoughts of self. Mm-hmm. We're thinking about, oh, I'm, I'm in a place where I've rebelled against Hashem. 
Like, here I was, I was thinking I'm the best thing that ever hit planet Earth. And then look at me, I realized that's actually not so true. <laughs> and the more I think about, about it, the more contrite it makes me. And I'm like, wow, I still have a long way to go. That's the exertion of the flesh. And then the exertion of the soul is, soul is let the soul shine. How are we going to let the soul shine? We have to allow it to really, really think about Hashem. And the example that Rabbi Steinsaltz gives is, why, why are we doing this? Why are we forcing it to spend such a long time, such concentrated thinking? That's a lot. Why? And he said, you know, a person is, God forbid, in isolation for years. They forget what real life is like. And if they don't take the time to really think about it, then certain animals that they've seen before, for real, suddenly become like mythical to them. They're like, hmm. Does a sheep exist? I'm not really sure. Maybe I dreamed about that before. Or men who have been in prison camps for years and years weren't sure if women actually existed because they were in isolation and they forgot what real normal human life is. So our soul too, it knows Hashem, but now it's like in isolation. It's in a body. And so it has to connect to its reality again. And it has to do that through great effort. Like make this real in your mind, connect to it, not just for a fleeting moment, moment and then it's back to, okay, back to my routine. No, I thought about it so much that everything is different about my day. Now the whole world looks different. It's not just something that's come and go, you know, touch and go. It's like, no, this is a changing experience. I'm thinking about Hashem so much the same way that I connect to something physical. And this is becoming so real to me and I have to exert myself. I, absolutely tiring. It requires extreme effort, but that's what the author was saying. This is the exertion of the soul. Don't let, don't let yourself talk you out of it and say, you're not doing this. You're going to be doing this. And the service of exerting one's thought, not be burdensome to it, to delve into and reflect upon the greatness of Hashem for a long, uninterrupted period. Kishi or nefesh. For this measure of time necessary to immerse oneself in a godly concept in order to arouse love or fear of Hashem is not the same for every soul. Some people require more time. Some people require less. But everybody requires some level. No matter how holy and spiritual you are, everybody requires some level of this meditation. And Altar is going to explain the differences. Yesh nefesh zaka bativa shemiyad shemispainenes begdulas Hashem yagia eleha hayira ufachan Hashem. There is the naturally refined soul, which immediately upon considering the greatness of Hashem attains a fear and a dread of him. All it has to do is just think about Hashem and boom, he's so aware of Hashem. He has to connect to this meditation deeply, but it doesn't take him a long time. As soon as he thought about it, wow, immediately he feels in awe. He's really before Hashem. There is a story of a chassid, Reb Matel Molestish. He was a profound scholar, a genius, a genuine chassid. He took a position as a rav in a small community because he didn't want to be bogged down by big city concerns. I mean, he was so much a part of what he was learning. One time he was walking home and he got stuck in like mire. He couldn't extract himself from it. Doesn't see anybody walking by. and He's like, how am I going to get myself out of here? Okay, I'll think about what I was learning this morning. So he starts thinking about what he was learning this morning. And then he said, you know... I want to see exactly the words the Rebbe said when he taught us that Hasidic discourse. So he pulls out from his pocket his notes on the Rebbe's discourse, and he's standing there in a pile of mud, and he's reading 
the words of the Rebbe. Now somebody walks by and he said, what are you doing? Self-mortification? He said, what self-mortification? I was stuck. I couldn't get out. I didn't want to waste my time. I'm meditating. So you see me like this. No self-mortification. <laughs> he was such a humble man that one time at a Hasidic Farbringen and mashke, different kinds of liquor got mixed together, which could be very dangerous. So they wanted to dispose of it. And the Tzemach Tzedek said, don't dispose of it. Give it to Matl. Because Matl is iron, which means nothing. And iron is able to hold opposites. So normally a person cannot hold opposites, but he is nothing for himself that he can drink that alcohol because he can handle opposites. And I said to him, wow, did you hear what the Rebbe said about you? He said, yeah, I heard what he said about me. He said, I'm a nothing. I always knew that. And he meant it. <laughs> so one time at a Hasidic for bringing, he's there together with Reb Itzalad Gavir, Reb Itzalad the philanthropist, very generous man, but always also very pompous, had a very healthy self-esteem. And he turns to him and he says, Itzala, listen to me. Just say these words one time and everything's going to change for you. Say the words, Asaif, the infinite one. Say it once and the whole world's going to be like nothing for you. Now, you can go around and tell people, say Asaif. The world won't necessarily become nothing for them. It has to do with what your awareness is. The Hasidic mentor of Shmuel Grainim spoke about this story and repeating it, he said, yeah, it's like the idea recounted in the Talmud. The Talmud says, talks about different beautiful women. And one of them was Rachav. Rachav was the one who hid the spies when they came to scout out the land of Israel. And uh, she was very beautiful. She originally was a immoral woman. She ended up marrying Yeshua, actually. But she, she converted and she became a pious woman. But originally, she was an immoral woman. She was a prostitute. And so the Talmud says, the discussion was, that if someone would say, Rachav, Rachav, they would have an emission of seed. And so one of the sages were sitting there and he said, no, I can do it. Rachav, Rachav, nothing happens to me. They said, no, 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 no. We're talking about people who knew her or recognized her. So the same thing, Lahavdil. For a model, if you would say, ain't safe, but he's someone who recognizes Hashem. This is an internal awareness for him. He says the word ain't safe once, and the whole world becomes nothing to him. But Reb Itzala, he might say, ain't safe. I don't know that it would have the same effect. Why? Because there are souls that are very refined. All they need to do is focus on Hashem's greatness with true concentration, but it doesn't take a long time. As soon as they've connected to that, suddenly awe of Hashem falls upon them. And why would that be? Why would there be a difference? And the difference is all of our souls are rooted in Chachma of Atzilas. This is the highest of the spheres in the highest of the worlds. However, as our soul comes down through the world, it takes on the consciousness of the lower worlds. Very, very high tzaddikim, like Maishu Rabbeinu, he came down here, no effect. None of the worlds affected him. He still had that consciousness of Atzilas even down here in a body. And some people take on the consciousness of just one world, like the world of Berea. Lucky. That's a very high level of consciousness. They come down here, they still have that consciousness. But there are souls who are very low. And even though their root is in the highest of worlds, they are no longer conscious of that. They have a very diminished consciousness and they don't easily connect. So, you know, one person, as soon as he thinks about Hashem in the morning, he is immediately filled with awe. And for somebody else, he just turns over and goes back to sleep. Yeah, he thought about Hashem. 
but it's not affecting him. As is written in Shulchan Aruch, Arachayim, section 1, that when a man reflects that the great king, the supreme king of kings, the holy one, blessed be he, with whose glory the whole world is filled, stands over him and sees his actions, he will immediately become overcome with fear. This is what is written in Shulchan Aruch in Seder Hashkamas HaBaker, getting up in the morning. And as the Shulchan Aruch concludes, he will be humbled and abashed before Hashem. This is true of one whose soul is naturally refined. He is immediately overcome with fear without great effort or time required on his part. But then, that's a, that's one kind of soul. V'yesh nefesh shifala v'teva v'say l'adatam imkar chutzpah madregais tachtenes d'yotzfiris d'asiyah. Then there is a soul that is of a lowly nature and origin, coming from the lower gradations of the ten sefirot of Asiya. Within the world of Asiya itself, the lowest of all the worlds, this type of soul comes from the lowest of the ten sefirot. It is thus a soul of a lowly nature and origin, which finds it difficult to conceptualize godly matters. So here, from the Shulchan Aruch, this is what the Ramah writes, but the Alter Rebbe in his Shulchan Aruch, in codifying Jewish law, writes this too, and then he adds something. He says that, If he is not immediately affected in this manner, he should ponder deeply upon this concept until he is affected. So the Shulchan Aruch says that a person's going to wake up in the morning, as soon as he thinks about Hashem's greatness, boom, he realizes he's in front of Hashem. He becomes humbled and abashed. That's for a high-level soul. But for a lower-level soul, it's not so easy. It takes more work. What about a high-level soul that is like, uh, has become one with the body and it's like does not have the eye to see? Or so we have an excellent question over here, and that is what about a high-level soul who is a high-level soul? It hasn't taken on the consciousnesses, but because it became entrenched, enamored with the body, it now has lost its original consciousness. And that's not what we're talking about here because we're talking about somebody who already got the body obstacle out of the way. Because the Altar said, obstacle number one is crush the body, do teshuva, humble yourself. If a person is a high level soul and he did teshuva, the body is no longer an obstacle. But we're talking about somebody who actually took those steps. Step one, humble myself. And still, when he's exerting his mind to think about Hashem, it's not coming to him so easily. Why? Because his soul has a diminished consciousness. says, And it is unable to discover godliness by contemplation, except with difficulty and with forceful insistence, meaning only by expending a great amount of effort and contemplating godliness for a long stretch of time, will it be able to secure a degree of godly illumination and conceptualize a notion of godliness. Only then will this contemplation penetrate such a person that so that he will be fearful of Hashem. But coming up, the Alter Rebbe will assure us that every one of us could do it. For some of us, it will take more effort. For some of us, it will take less effort. We can all do it. But none of us should just automatically assume that we're a low-level soul. And I think a lot of us do that. We're like, okay, we flip to the right page. This is me. You know, you try to find yourself in the personality book. Oh, I got it. 
One second. Did you find, did you follow the steps in the right order? Did you first try to humble yourself and get your ego out of the way? Did you first try to do teshuva and think of yourself as an empty vessel to surrender to Hashem? And then you're exerting your mind and you still can't connect to Hashem? Maybe then you can consider that you're a soul that has a very low level. But we don't know. We don't know who has a low or a high level soul. There are people who seem to be so so disconnected from everything and they really have a high soul and they just never tapped into they never gave their soul a chance so we don't know until we try and let's summarize what we said in class today and that is that the main way of getting this knowledge of Hashem is by delving deeply into meditation of him and literally fixing our thoughts on Hashem until he's so real to us, like something that we see with our eyes. And we all can do this because we have Moshe in our soul. Das doesn't just mean knowledge or information. It means union. And we can connect Hashem in this way because we have the power by virtue of our divine soul that suckles from Moshe Rabbeinu. And there's two ways we're going to have to do this. It's going to take a lot of hard work on our part. One is exertion of the flesh. To crush the body, meaning to get the ego out of the way. And we can do this by having thoughts of teshuva from the depths of our heart. And the other way is, the second way, not the other way, we need both steps. First is getting the body out of the way. Not letting the ego, the enamored, the, no, what's the right word? The enchantment of this world get to us. Get that out of the way. But the second way is exertion of the soul. Allowing our soul to shine. Not letting the hard work of meditation deter us. It shouldn't be so hard for us. We should work our mind to truly delve deeply upon Hashem's greatness. But the time required for each of us is not the same. There are some people who have a very high level soul, very refined. As soon as they think about it, immediately they're aware of Hashem. They're suddenly humbled and abashed before Him. But there are some people whose souls come from a much lower level. And therefore, it takes a lot more effort on their part till they're able to reach that space. But all of us can reach that space no matter what level soul that we have. So I'm finishing up class for today and opening up for questions and discussion. And there's no class next week because it's Purim. <laughs> so, yes, Cheryl. Okay, so two, two thoughts. One, just a, a comment because I remember Rabbi Graydon talking about that everything we're given is for a holy purpose. So our imagination, which can go off in all these material ways, really is for this, like imagining Hashem being, picturing yourself at the Kotel, picturing the greatness of God, like envisioning that, which I, I've tried to incorporate with my davening, like the first paragraph of Shimon Esri, which helps me kind of like direct my imagination, because that's what it is, right? Your thought in your head yeah. about Hashem. I love that, and I appreciate that insight. I hope you're going to let me keep it on for the podcast, because I think that's very helpful. You know, Hashem gave us everything for a reason, so, you know, our imagination could leave us, God forbid, to an, an evil place. Our imagination could take us to the most holy places, and we are to use that. I, is, Laura, is that a question? Yeah. Hi. Uh, hi. Um, beautiful class. I really enjoyed this. Um, I have a question about um, meditation because there's so many different things that you hear about meditation, whether it's being present and like calming your mind and and and, and um, not thinking of anything. So for for how I understand it, contemplating is meditating on Hashem thinking about him, the purpose of this world, my role in that, the 
uh, purpose for which we all exist and how that all ties in and just contemplating that, thinking about that, connecting all the dots and then feeling that um, joy and connection to him and just that overwhelming feeling that we're all here for one one purpose and we share in that. Is that what that is? Yes. Well, you're, you're bringing in a bunch of different meditations that we've did, done in Tanya. So you put them kind of all in one. There's different kinds of meditation, but the meditation that you first referred to about like calming the mind, mind, not thinking about anything, that's not what we're talking about because what's the goal of the meditation? In those instances, a person is looking for clarity. They're looking for calmness or serenity. That's not what we're looking for here. Here we're looking for true connection to Hashem. And it's not necessarily, especially initially, a calming activity. It can be very overwhelming in the beginning, but it's about contemplating Hashem's greatness. Where are we going to get that information from? We're going to learn about it from holy works. We're going to think about the Hashgacha Pratis in our life, the divine providence, how Hashem literally orchestrates everything just so if you really think about it, you'll be astounded. Suddenly have this strong realization of Hashem's imminent presence within everything. And even if like a person is not very scholarly, and this is something that came up at class last night, like learning Torah is imperative. We all have to study Torah. At what level? You start at a a basic level. Reading Torah from Tanakh. Read the story of the Exodus. Think about how nobody ever escaped the land of Egypt and Hashem with a mighty hand extracted us from there. If we really think about just the simple basic story, that can already overwhelm us with awe for Hashem. You know, we never graduate learning Tanakh. You know, the Rebbe Rashab said that learning Tanya is like learning Chumash. Everybody learns it from the youngest to the oldest and the wisest. Everybody understands at his level what they understand, but nobody understands it at all. So, you know, you think that you're reading the basic stories and the Chumash, and this is simple, I got it. You got it. Whatever you got, you got. Absolutely. And that's a true Hashem experience. But you should just know that that's nothing compared to what's really in there.